Chase Kitty here on the High Motor Podcast after week seven, before week eight, and we don't have a ton of playoff clarity yet, but it's getting more clear thanks to a couple notable results everybody is talking about from Saturday. We'll get to those results in a minute, how they affected the picture, but, and actually this is probably, they affected the picture in this way, because I want to start with something that you and I are kind of surprised isn't getting more play, and I know that you and I, we neither of us want to be the the guy that's yelling, nobody is talking about this. Why isn't anybody talking about this? That game is kind of dumb. But this definitely falls in that. So even before Georgia was shocked by South Carolina, before the SEC took another L, not as terrible of a one, uh, but still an L in Baton Rouge with Florida going down to LSU, the Big Ten is in a really, really good spot. And the Big Ten, like every other power conference besides the SEC, they've never had two teams in the playoff. Again, no conference besides the SEC has put two teams in the playoff, and all of a sudden we're sitting here. Yeah, we still have, what, seven regular season weeks to go. We're only into week eight, but the Big Ten, I think, is in a phenomenal spot, probably the best spot out of every power, out of any power conference to put two teams in this uh, this year, and I think it's extremely highly possible, maybe. Would I bet on it? No. But, again, Chase, I want to get your take on this because I think Wisconsin's in a really nice spot, as is Ohio State. I think Ohio State's still the better team there. When they do play here in a couple of weeks, I will pick Ohio State to win that game. But Wisconsin and Ohio State have kind of separated themselves in the Big Ten. Clearly, we saw that with, with Michigan going to into, uh, Madison, just getting steamrolled. And yeah, Penn State is still there, still has a shot. But Ohio State is clearly the best team in the East, or probably clearly the best team in the Big Ten. But because of where Wisconsin is and what they have shown with that defense, I mean, they have four shutouts in the first six games. But because Wisconsin's in the West, I think that they're also in an equally good spot as Ohio State, even though I don't think they're as good of a team as Ohio State. So if Wisconsin and Ohio State take care of their respective business, they basically have two shots to make the playoff, right? So my logic here is, if Wisconsin loses in Columbus here in a couple weeks, but takes care of business, beats Iowa, beats Minnesota, they still win the West. And then the Badgers get another shot at, we assume, presumably an undefeated Ohio State in the title game. If they win that... I'm not a guy that likes to play, you're guaranteed in if you get this. Or, as we talked about offline before, after the Georgia loss, a lot of people were screaming, Georgia is done. That is absurd. But a 12-1 P5 champ most years is going to be guaranteed to be in. This year, especially, a 12-1 P5 champ is in no question. Same scenario if that is Ohio State. So is, I guess, do you like the Big Ten's chances of being a two-bid league? Yeah, I think it's definitely more possible than has been framed nationally because it hasn't been framed nationally at all. I, I haven't heard really anybody say this, but you and I. Well, how is it? Is it being? I see it being framed as Wisconsin is good. They're not as good as Ohio State, but maybe they can beat them, and maybe Wisconsin can represent the Big Ten in the playoff. That's how I see it. Yeah, and, and and I think that's true, but I don't think it gets talked about in this idea of both of these teams are playoff caliber teams. And before we get too in on the Wisconsin and Ohio State thing, which both you and I agree are the two teams that could sort of come out of this conference, we do have to pay some lip service to Penn State, who's still undefeated and has games against Michigan upcoming next weekend. They go to East Lansing, 
they, they got to play at Minnesota and they go to Columbus. So if they win all those games and, and go to the Big Ten Championship, obviously they wouldn't be in position too. I just don't think they can win all those games. It's too many ifs. But so they I, have the same type of scenario. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't. I just don't think that Penn State is going to win all those games. I don't. I don't think they're going to go to Columbus and win. But yeah, they're in that same conversation. I mean, they don't really have like the Wisconsin. We get two shots at Ohio State to make the playoff. Penn State gets one shot at Ohio State, and they would still have to beat a really good Wisconsin team. So yeah, I mean, maybe we should put Penn State in that conversation yeah, because they, they are they, kind they're of they're on, fit it that on bill. paper anyway, right? You know? But I, I think um, you know Penn State. This is something I've said in the past, and I think it's true again this year. Penn State is just good enough to be a really, really quality win for a playoff team. <laughs> like, like that's that's what they're going to be. I, I just think the schedule is too hard. But, but I do think that this is probably the best Penn State team in a couple of years here. So I, I don't want to totally shaft them out of the conversation. But I, I do think that the focus here is on Wisconsin and Ohio State. And, and I think the scenario is exactly what you just laid out. Wisconsin has to go to Ohio State later in the season. Uh, win or lose that game, I think they probably play a rematch in the Big Ten title game. And if those two teams go one and one against each other, depending on what happens in other parts of the country, uh, there's a very real chance the Big Ten has two teams in the playoff. And I just have a hard time seeing Wisconsin stumble. I, yeah, they do have games. Uh, I mean, like that, that Northwestern game, they almost blown. They've blown that game or lost that game in the past. This year, they got the win. And yes, you know, they they could lose to Iowa. I mean, Iowa's offense is struggling. They can't score at all. I think when they scored against Penn State, it was their first offensive touchdown, like twenty four or twenty five drives, something like that. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't pick Iowa to win that game, but I'm also not going to say here that Wisconsin is guaranteed to steamroll Iowa. So yeah, they, they could lose that game. They could lose at Minnesota. Minnesota ran over them last year. Uh, we talked about Minnesota a lot on the podcast last week, so I don't want to talk about them too much. I still think they're being a little bit overrated right now. I don't know if they're a top 20 or top 25 team. I think we need to wait until that Penn State game, but it's really hard to see, and they're not losing at Illinois. They're not losing in Lincoln. I mean, Nebraska just sucks. Lincoln is a, a tough-ish place to play, but Nebraska is just a terrible football team. They're not losing to Purdue at home. And I would gladly bet and heavily bet on Wisconsin to be Iowa and Minnesota. So you're looking at that game, and if that's a close game, and we kind of touched on this a little bit before, if Wisconsin were to were to lose that game by 30 points and then beat Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game on the last second field goal, I, I wouldn't feel that great about putting Wisconsin in I know that we, we've talked a lot over the last few years, like when Ohio State got left out because they got blasted by Iowa, and then Ohio State got left out because they got blasted by Purdue. Different deal there. Wisconsin's a better team, but uh, or excuse me, Ohio State's a better team. So if Wisconsin were to get blasted by Ohio State and then win on a close one Big Ten championship game, that might be a different conversation. But I think we, we both believe that Wisconsin going into Columbus, they can keep that game within 10-ish points. And yeah, winning that game would be huge. If they win that game, they're, I don't want to call them a lock. And we can talk about playoff locks here in a little bit. But if they win that game, you got to feel as good about Wisconsin making the playoff as any team in the country, right? Yes. I mean, they're not it, I, quite as good. Would you still put Clemson and Oklahoma, even Alabama, above them? I, in terms of seeding or in terms of my confidence in that terms they of end up locks. making the here, field? Let me just ask you. Who, who are the ranked the teams right now? Let's assume that Wisconsin goes to Ohio State and wins that game. Which teams are the biggest lock to make the playoff if that happens? Uh, well, I, I would think you would have to put Wisconsin in, in there. Um, would you put Clemson 1, Oklahoma 2, or would you put Alabama up a little bit higher? I, I just, to, to be clear, are we talking about number 1 
seed or no, number just the one biggest lock. If you had to okay, put the entire lock. Chase Kitty inheritance down. <laughs> yeah, all, all dozens of the dollars. All the dozens is. of the Perkins coupons, all yeah. dozens of the Bennigan's coupons. If you had to put yeah. everything down and say you would bet that this team makes a playoff, not seeding, nothing like that, who's the biggest lock to make the playoff if Wisconsin wins that game? I still think it's Clemson because uh, Wisconsin – even if they win that game, they're probably still playing Ohio State in the, in the title game. And if they go back and lose in the Big Ten title game, you know, I, I don't know how that shakes out. It depends on a lot of variables. I can't see Clemson not making the playoff. And it's that that's less about Clemson and more about the ACC, right? It, it just, just doesn't seem like they're going to be challenged enough. Uh, whether or not they're one of the four best teams in college football is actually a more interesting conversation but it, t- in terms of the path to the playoff it just seems way too easy right now so i think would it's you put time. oklahoma above them too if that were to happen uh no i think i'd have wisconsin at two because even though i think oklahoma is the best team in the big 12 by a mile right now just the style of play in that league something weird can always happen and, and all it takes is something weird happening in the big 12 title game or maybe even a regular season game, and then they're a one-loss Big 12 champion, and now you got to start playing the resume game. And, and, I, and I don't know. I, I think Wisconsin might end up with uh, more marquee wins than Oklahoma when Let's, it's all said and done. I want to go back to something that we talked about a, la- a lot the last couple of weeks, is who is that, that second or third best team in the Big 12? And I want to bring it up again because watching the Oklahoma-Texas game, I don't care that that ended up being a seven-point game. Watch that entire game. That was not a seven-point game. Oklahoma just ran over Texas. I don't care what the score was at all. It never, ever felt like Texas was actually in that game. It felt like Oklahoma was on a completely different level. They made a handful of mistakes. If Hurst doesn't throw that ill-advised interception into the end zone, if he doesn't fumble when they're driving uh, down into Texas territory, this game is a three- or four-score game. I'm surprised that they still didn't win by 14-plus. That's what I predicted they win by 14-plus. But if to me, I, I still think that Texas is the second-best team in the Big 12. And if Oklahoma looked that good and that dominant – against the second-best team in the Big 12. I get Texas has injuries, but they still look so much better than them. I have a really hard time saying they're going to go into Waco. And you and I both like what Texas Tech has done this year, but Baylor still beat Texas Tech at home. They kind of struggle with Texas Tech at home a little bit. I have a hard time saying Oklahoma is going to go into Waco and lose. That's why I think Oklahoma is, is – I still agree. I think Clemson is probably the lock. But if, if that scenario that we were talking about, if Wisconsin goes to Columbus and wins, I would still put Oklahoma well above them. I think Clemson and Oklahoma are by far the biggest locks to make the playoff, even if Wisconsin were to go to Columbus and win. Now, if Ohio State wins that game against Wisconsin, I'd probably put them right up there with Clemson and Oklahoma as the biggest locks for the playoff. But I just have a hard time seeing any other team in the... Where do you, I mean, where do you see... Oklahoma stumbling. I know you're really high on Baylor. Could you see them stumbling against Baylor? Because I don't see them losing at home to TCU. I don't see them losing at home to Iowa State, even after how good Iowa State looked in beating West Virginia. They're not losing to West Virginia at home. They're not losing in Manhattan. Definitely not losing to West Virginia. So what is the game then? Are you worried about Baylor? Once they get past Baylor, then would you feel better about them being a lock? I think Bedlam is always on the table uh, as a potential upset. The game's in Stillwater this year. So, you know, it's college football. It's a rivalry. Anything can happen there. I think we've seen that play itself out hundreds of times over the years. Uh, so I, I I think they could lose that game. I'm pretty high on Baylor. I, I'm 
I am firmly established now, I think, at this point, that I think Baylor is the second-best team in the Big 12. Uh, I, I like the defense that they play. I did think – I was really surprised they struggled with Texas Tech like they did this weekend, but they did sort of find a way to win, even though there were a couple of questionable calls there. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I, I think they could lose at Baylor. I think they could lose in Stillwater. I, I'd i be surprised if they lose the Big 12 title game, but, you know – I agree with you that they're probably a playoff team. It's just that I think Wisconsin probably has a better, a, a better and stronger resume, and they in this scenario that we've crafted where they go to Columbus and win, uh, and they are going to have more marquee wins. I think at the end of the year, I think the Houston win that Oklahoma has is not going to be nearly as impressive when we get to November and December as we thought it was in September. So I, I like what Wisconsin would have in this scenario, and I think it would give them a little more wiggle room, whereas Oklahoma, I think because of what their schedule is this year, I think a a loss would really put them on the edge, and it would depend on what happens in other conferences. Specifically the playoff path, and this is what we talked about last week, and it turned out to be kind of amusing. We had put Wake Forest, Baylor, and Minnesota not calling any of those three teams true playoff contenders, but we really liked their path. Uh, Yeah, Baylor and Minnesota are still technically alive. And uh, Minnesota looked great in, in bashing a terrible Nebraska team. Baylor looked okay in beating a decent Texas Tech team. And then Wake Forest gives up 60-plus to Louisville the week after we said Wake Forest is a really damn good team. So looking at the, the best playoff path, this is kind of the same conversation as who is the lock there. And I think we have Clemson so far up because arguably their, their toughest remaining game, now that South Carolina showed a little bit in Athens, is probably at South Carolina. You talked about Bedlam with that rivalry game, Oklahoma-Oklahoma State. So Clemson might fall into that same category going to South Carolina last game of the season, even though they've completely dominated that series uh, for the better part of, what, six, seven years now. And maybe the toughest test, shockingly, I mean, if you had asked me this a year ago, I love, what, I love the Scott Satterfield hire, but... Louisville's looked pretty good. I thought they looked pretty darn good against Notre Dame for, what, three quarters in that opener. We both liked Wake Forest a lot. They go down to Winston-Salem and put up 60-plus on them. So maybe all of a sudden Clemson going to Louisville is the toughest schedule. I want to flip it on you, though. We talked about who is the best path, who has the the biggest locks for the the playoff, who has the worst playoff path among the contenders. So um, whoever you think is a true contender, who has the worst playoff path? And I keep coming back to LSU. I think even though, as we saw a couple years ago, an 11-1 non-divisional champ with Alabama got in, I think that an 11-1 non-divisional champ, especially in the SEC West, probably only in the SEC West, still has a really good chance. That might be the only way that the SEC gets two teams in the playoff right now, depending on how you like a Florida or a Georgia matchup with the West champ. But I think LSU probably has the toughest path right now even though there's a really good case to be made that LSU is the best team in the country. Yes, uh, and I think LSU is a fine candidate there. I think, and I guess this could come down to what you want to define as a candidate, I think Auburn is still a candidate. Uh, I don't think they're out of it, and I think it's them. I, I think the schedule that they have this year is just absolutely brutal. They've already played a lot of it, right? Like They, they, they pull the win out against Oregon. Uh, they had to go to College Station, which really I don't think is that big of a deal, but I, I think they probably score some strength of schedule points on that. They had to go to Gainesville. They ne- they still have to go to Baton Rouge. They still have to play Georgia, which isn't even an SEC West game for them. They just draw Georgia this year. Uh, and, and then they had to play Alabama. So, I mean, 
I, I really think Auburn is a is a high quality team. Uh, I I think their defensive line is maybe the best defensive line in college football, uh, and I I'd put it right there with Clemson. I, I think it's that good. But it's just the schedule for them is so tough this year that that even though they're probably in my eyes a top four, five, six team, I just don't think they can get there with all the games they have to play. You want to play your wrong? Yes, I do. All right, number one. Uh, despite all of the crazy stuff that happened in the ACC this year, the ACC championship game is still going to be UVA versus Clemson. No argument. All right, number two. Boise State is the class of the G5 with or without Hank Bachmeyer playing quarterback. That's a really good question or a really good statement. I have a hard time. I think I could make an argument disagreeing with that. I still think if you put UCF and Boise on a neutral field, if you put UCF and Boise on a neutral field, do you think UCF is the second best G5 team or where are you at? No, I, I don't I don't even want to hear anything out of Orlando for the rest of the year. You guys, you, you guys ran your bar tab up for the last two and a half years and now the bill has come due, right? So I, I, don't, I don't want to hear anything from UCF till 2020. Uh, I would take Cincinnati over them. I think Cincinnati's really good. I think Utah State's really good. Okay, so let's let's do Cincinnati. Really On second thought, I probably agree that Cincinnati is is the second. I it mean, might be Tulane. I mean, it, it they're up there. So if you put Cincinnati and Boise State on neutral field, who would you take? Oh, Boise State. Really? Yeah. No, you wouldn't even think about it. No. Even without Bachmer. Even without Bachmer. Yeah, I think they're really good. I think the defense is just as good as Cincinnati's is. I think the offense makes plays. They're explosive. They're creative. Yeah, I can't uh, definitively say you're wrong there, so I'll let you keep going. I think there's an argument to be made, and I, I agree. I think it would be fantastic games if we could put Boise State and Cincinnati on neutral field. Boise State, uh, even SMU. Boise State, SMU. good, yeah. Put them up against Sonny Dyson. The American's fun this year. We've talked about that before. American is American. just a damn blast. Get rid of the Pac-12. Just shoot them into outer space and put the American in. <laughs> Can you imagine I, we, if I mean look at those. We need teams. an American like if, Pac-12 like, if like SMU was series. playing for an actual playoff bid. We talked about this a few weeks ago. What what can we do to make the G5 more interesting? And yeah, it doesn't. We don't have that top ten G5 team. Boise State or I, I don't know Cincinnati with that blowout loss to Ohio State. I don't see them climbing that high in the playoff standings. But Boise State could end up being in the top ten. But we don't really have that that buzzing. I mean, Boise State, I don't even know what they're in the AP or coaches' rankings because I don't care. I think I have them 15 in my rankings, but we can agree that they're generally in like that 14 to 20 range nationally, and nobody is talking about them. And again, I don't want to play that game or why aren't we talking about Boise State, but like what what Brian Harson is it just because Brian Harson followed Chris Peterson that nobody just gives a shit about Brian Harson and Boise State anymore? Yeah, I feel like it's always hard to to grade coaches when they they're coming behind the guy that just built that's what the Chris program Peterson into what did it too. is, right? I mean, Chris Peterson just rolled the coattails of Dan Hawkins, and Chris Peterson's a hell of a coach, and I'm not debating anything about that. But what Brian Harson has been there since 2014. I mean, we're not just two years into Brian Harson. He had a great year at Arkansas State. I mean, he was at Boise State for a billion years before then, so he was part of building that core with Dan Hawkins and then Chris Peterson. So why aren't we talking about Boise? We need to get – I know a Boise State writer out in Idaho. Maybe I'll get him on the pod. And, and I also know a Boise State. So you talk to your Boise State guy. I'll talk to my Boise State guy. We'll figure it out. Yeah, and then we'll we'll fly out to Boise and, and enjoy a nice game on the blue field. I can't wait. I have no argument against that. What's this the next podcast has wrong? a huge budget, as as many of our listeners know. So Absolutely. Just, just put on the credit card and, and right uh, we'll – yeah. 
We'll pay you back. And, and before I move on, just a sort of a brief corollary there. First of all, I don't think Bachmeyer is going to miss a ton of time. So I, I, I think he probably plays in the next game. So I wouldn't. I, I'm not trying to like induce panic in Boise over that one or anything. I, I, it's not like I think he's going to miss big time. And I, I think the the corollary to that would be, you know, Boise played Hawaii this this past weekend. I think that's the Mountain West Championship game. I think we just watched it. I think that's what we're going to get. Now I just want to put Boise State and Cincinnati on neutral field or Boise State and SM. Put a little, give me a little 14 playoff. You know what? Give me a 14 playoff. SMU, G5 playoff. SMU, Boise State, Cincinnati, and you don't want to see UCF, so let's put Utah State in there. Let's put Tulane or Utah State in there. I would pay real money to go to that playoff. I would too. Significant money. King of the G5s. Playoff. Absolutely. This is, this is like how FCS has – it's not – it's not the exact same. I, I almost don't even want to make this comparison, but like in FCS football, you have the HBCU nas- quote unquote national title game where they have the MEAC that plays the SWAC, and those teams don't really play in the real FCS playoff. They kind of do their own thing. I think the G5 could do that. I would go to that. That'd be fun. And it's really meaningful to them. With all due respect, nobody outside of that, that HBCU community cares that much. I, mean, I think HBCU football really gets shit on, even though it's pretty decent football. They produce a lot of talent over the years. But generally, no one outside the HBCU community cares that much about it. I, I'm not in the G5 community, but I, w- I would care about that game and that playoff so much. Boise State, Cincinnati, neutral field. I'd pay into the hundreds of dollars to watch that game. Yeah, I'd go. You're All wrong. Right. You're wrong, number three. In its final six games... Rutgers opponents will outscore the Scarlet Knights by more than 200 points. Did you see Chris Vanini from The Athletic? He does a phenomenal, and I love, these are usually really poorly done where it's like 15 crazy stats from week seven. They're usually stupid. He has a phenomenal job. He, I'm pulling up the Rutgers schedule as we speak here so I can actually do something. I, I can math. give it to you if you want to have Hold it on, up. but let me make this really quick point. So since, I don't have the exact number of shutouts, but since 2000, the Rutgers joined, they joined the Big Ten in 2014, remember? Since 2000, Rutgers has suffered more shutouts than any other Big Ten team. That's great. They've only been That's the Big Ten for, what, five and a five half years, years yeah, of the 20. They've been in the Big Ten for a little over a quarter of the time, yet Rutgers has as many shutouts as any other team in the Big Ten. Incredible stat. So anyways, Rutgers uh, at home against Minnesota, they threw for one passing yard with the way the Minnesota defense is playing lately. They'll probably throw for three passing yards against Minnesota. Um, Triple I think the their output. only thing that could prevent that from happening would be, I think they lose to Liberty, but I don't think they lose by more than 10 or 15 points. And I think they hold Michigan State's offense to under 30. So you're looking at six games. 50 points, you're assuming Ohio State and Penn State beat them by a combined well over 100, right? I think Ohio State and Penn State could c- combine to dump like 100 and. You know what? On a good conscience, yeah. I cannot just – I'm not going to defend Rutgers football, so I'm not going to say you're – this is <laughs> – yeah, that's, that's a tough position to take. Yeah. This is just stupid. Move on. We're, 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 I don't even want to talk about Rutgers football. <laughs> what What is next? All right. So, here uh, – the, these next two – I don't want a caveat. Just give them to me. All right, these these well they kind of go together. So I but but they're different but they're related. Uh so we're I, I know we're going to get into it here. Uh because I will argue with myself over hey, this. Hey, maybe Number you could f- take your time explaining it more so that we could actually not get to your wrong. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh Georgia cannot make the playoff. So that's that's You a. don't even believe that. I 
I'll give you my full explanation here. In a I don't think they will make the playoff, but it's not that, they exactly, cannot make that, the playoff. That. And I struggled with the words there because I didn't want to say cannot because they can, but they won't. So they uh, won't the, make the playoff. I yeah, they, they, they won't, and in fact, they can't. They can, but they won't, and they can't. So that makes sense, right? Okay, what's part B? Missouri will win the SEC East. <laughs> no. All right, I'm I'm ready to go on this. So, okay, let me pull up their schedule just to get my ammo here. Yeah, and this is a discussion where I don't even really want to have it in how good Missouri or Georgia or Florida are. Right, because I I think Missouri of those three teams is the worst team. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think if you put any of those, if you want to really rank them, like you can go back and forth on Georgia and Florida. I think Florida is probably the better team right now. I was and I tweeted this out. I think it was like in the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter of the LSU game. It, it felt like that Florida was going to lose that game. It kind of felt like the LSU-Texas game where, like, Texas actually looked pretty good. They looked better against LSU than I thought they would. But most of that game, it just felt like Texas was going to lose. So it felt like the same type of game there where where Florida really impressed me, even though they felt like they were going to lose. And I tweeted out in the fourth quarter, I I, I can't remember what they were ranked going into in my rankings going into last week, but I said no matter what happens here in the fourth quarter, I'm going to move them up because I was that impressed with how they looked. And I know that LSU's defense is taking a few licks and it's not great, but still, how Florida moved the ball, and yes, they struggle on, on defense allowing 10 yards per play. But, I, I so anyways, back to my original point. I think you put Florida and Georgia, like you said, way at the top, and then Missouri is way at the bottom. Agreed. I don't think that Missouri goes to Georgia and wins. They might not. And I think Missouri loses at home to Florida. So how do they win the SEC East? I think they can beat Florida in Columbia. Uh, and, and then they would, assuming they went out, which is not a given, uh, I, I think they could probably go to South Carolina and win. I think that's a sort of a natural letdown spot for South Carolina. And they're coming, uh, wait, I'm looking at the wrong schedule. But Georgia would still, yeah, they don't play South Carolina. Georgia, yeah, I'm looking at, I'm looking at really quickly, they go to Vandy. They're going to win that game by 90. They go to Kentucky. They go to Georgia. They have three straight home games. Even with a bye. Or excuse me, three straight road games, even with a bye. Anyways, two Vandy, two Kentucky, two Georgia, Florida at home, Tennessee at home, at Arkansas. So right. we so can agree that I, they're going to beat I think there's Vandy. only two games there, yeah. They can, we think they're going to beat Vandy. Yeah, they could lose in, in, in Lexington, whatever. Tennessee has looked competent, but I'm still picking them to win those four games. So how on earth do you see them winning the SEC East? So if, if they lose to so you're saying they have to I'm saying they split the games with Georgia and Florida and then whoever loses that game beats the other team in the world's largest cocktail party. Correct. And then Georgia already has saddled with a loss. Florida's already lost to LSU. And Missouri just kind of like sits there amongst the carnage and even though they're probably the worst team of those three teams, I think they have a reasonable path to ending up with the best record in the tiebreakers. How does that I it's not outrageous. I still think you're wrong. It sounds way more outrageous when you hear it. And extremely. then you look at it, you look at the schedules and the context, and you're like, whoa, this is this is very possible. I think you're wrong, but I do like the discussion. But what that leads me to, and this is what Georgia's loss and Florida's loss did for me last week, is what does this do for, number one, the Big Ten's chances to get two teams in the playoff. Uh, number two, if you want to play that game, what does it do for Notre Dame? And number three... Can the SEC West now get two teams in the playoff? Because whoever wins SEC West, they're going to steamroll Missouri in the SEC Championship game. I think that whoever wins the West would probably beat Georgia or Florida in the SEC Championship game too. But if they win that game, assuming that the SEC West wins that game, 13-0, Alabama, whoever you want to put in there, LSU, 13-0. 
the other team that doesn't make the SEC championship game from the West, very good chance they're going to go 11-1. So if Georgia and Florida are out of the picture, you take two more right now, We you can say if they're going to make the playoff or not, but those are two playoff contenders still. You take them out of the picture, Auburn would lose then, let's say they lose to Alabama, they're out of the picture. You don't have that many teams left. SEC West is looking really damn pretty if that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is weird. So it's like they want... They're going to benefit if the top teams in the conference lose, which is usually the opposite. Yeah. I don't think Missouri is going to win the SEC East. I think it can. I'm I'm not 100% that they will, but I wanted to make the argument because I, I really think the path is there and what's, it could happen. What's the future on that right now? Maybe we'll look that I, up and I talk about I should look that, that up. Yeah, we should talk, talk about, about that later this week. Midweek podcast. And, and to, to circle around on the, on the front end of that conversation, which was about Georgia um, – this is something you and I talked about a lot off air uh, earlier today. I am really frustrated with, and, and we were so reactionary when we do this, right? Oh, Georgia lost, so they're out of it, right? And, and in reality, it's one loss. And historically, I think we've got enough evidence now in the five or six years we've been doing the playoff. One loss does not sink you. It depends on what happens in other parts of the country. It depends on who you lose to. It depends on when you lose. It depends on all these different details. But in general, one loss is not going to sink you. Honestly, I've reached the point where the take is so bad and so stupid. I don't know if Danny Cannell is saying that, but he's the type of guy that would say that. He's the type of guy that would get on and say, you're done. It's like that type of guy. Who I don't think he would get on and say, you're done. I think but he, you would, see my point. he would mock the person defending Georgia. It's kind of like yeah. if Clemson were to have lost to North Carolina... Yeah, with how shitty the ACC is, that would be a huge problem. But Clemson would not have been done. I mean, I understand if this was the first year, like when Ohio State lost Virginia Tech early in the first year of the playoff in 2014. And we all went, oh my God, that Ohio was State's fine. Done. Okay, yeah. we're five years in now, we five guessing. and a half years in now. We ha- It's still a tiny sample size, and that's kind of the whole point this year. We don't know what's going to happen. It's like all those people yelling, there will never be a two-loss team in a 14 playoff. I have no, I wouldn't bet on it, but I would... I have no idea if that's going to happen. Right. But I, I just, I don't care. I don't get frustrated by that take because it is just so wrong. It is so stupid. It's really bad. Yes. That's it's not really bad happen. and it's it's really myopic. It's not looking past this week. So I don't like that argument and I want to make it clear. That's not the argument I'm making. The argument I'm making is if you look at Georgia's schedule, they they would have to win out to make the playoffs. And based upon how they looked against South Carolina, I'm not at all confident that that is going to happen. And even even if they sort of fix some things, I mean, you're you're talking about a schedule that they're going to have to beat Florida and Jacksonville. Okay, they got to play Missouri, which is not a gimme. I think they win. SEC East champion Missouri. SEC East champion Missouri. That's correct. They have to go to Auburn. Uh, I'm not going to throw Texas A&M here in here because I think they're so hilariously overrated. Uh, but you know that that's not a walkover game. And then if they did win the SEC East, then they have to go play the SEC West champion in the championship game. I don't think they're good enough to win that game, regardless of whether or not it's LSU or Alabama. So I, I don't see them winning all of those games, and I think they could realistically finish with two or three losses. I just don't think they can get to the place they have to get to to make the playoffs. So the best way I knew how to say that was Georgia cannot make the playoff. 
that is a better explanation. That should have been your caveat instead of whatever you did for like 30 seconds mumbling it and whatever you were I, doing I knew about you would it. be with me once I got to the explanation part, but I then also just knew to I would be the explanation right. At yeah, the I, I just instead. need to dive all the way into it and like wear a bulletproof vest and know that I'm I'm going to take incoming fire on this. I want to close with something. We spent what, a minute on Rutgers maybe? It was probably a minute too much. Right, but I want to talk about Vanderbilt. Even better. Vanderbilt got anchored down, blasted by a really horrible UNLV team. And I have a soft spot in my heart because I love the Tony Sanchez hire. So I was actually excited to, to see that happen. I was excited for Sanchez to get a nice win because they've been struggling lately. But with that loss, Vanderbilt, a lot of heat is coming on Derek Mason. And because they're a private school, we don't totally know exactly what his buyout is. His salary is in the high twos, I believe. That's what it's projected at, high twos, threes. So, we've played this a couple of times on the podcast. Who would they hire? If you want to talk, talk about Vanderbilt moving on, we have to have the same conversation. Who would they hire? And the picture here, so A.D. Malcolm Turner at Vandy. He's new earlier this year. He came from the, the NBA, came from the G League. He had never been an A.D. And almost immediately, I think he took over like February 1st, he fired Bryce Drew like a month and a half later. Uh, well, he tried to reassign him to another position instead of just firing him to avoid paying the buyout. So he didn't really fire him immediately. Uh, but that shrewd move didn't work, and they ended up firing him and made the very, very questionable hire of Jerry Stackhouse. And then, so that's the background there. That's kind of gives you an idea of what his thinking is here. And then Turner extended Derek Mason not much longer after that and gave him a raise because, Chase, everybody was coming after Derek Mason, I guess. Hot commodity, Derek Mason. So if Vandy does move on, I don't think that's going to happen, but you got blasted by a dog shit UNLV team. So let's play who would they hire for Vanderbilt. They're so bad, UNLV, so bad. I can't believe they lost that game. If you would have told me UNLV won like 24 to 23, fine. Okay, yeah, sure. But. <laughs> but that didn't happen. They just got beat, like, badly. <laughs> so because of Malcolm Turner's background, because of his experience, and because of that Jerry Stackhouse hire, this is a really hard one. We talked about Illinois last week, and that was a hard one because of Josh Whitman's background, not a whole lot of experience in the FBS. And Nashville, uh, excuse me, Vanderbilt is a very interesting uh, situation in Nashville with the focus on academics, how their athletic department is structured. Who would take that job for, I'm guessing it would be around the $3 million number. Maybe they can get it up a little bit. Let's say they can't go above $4 million. I don't see how they would possibly go above four, four and a half. At the most, we believe that Mason's right around the three million dollar range after he got that raise. But with another buyout, who knows what kind of money they'd have to spend? Anyways, I am starting every single low-level Power Five potential list with Willie Fritz because I've talked about on this show and elsewhere a lot that for Willie Fritz, if you are a low-level Power Five team, you need to hire him immediately. If I were Vanderbilt, I would hire him in a second. But I don't think that they will. I don't think he would even take that job. So here are a few others. Yeah. yeah, I don't think you would take that job. I think you can do better than that. Here are a few others that I think could be in play, one of which I'm very curious, you as an FCS guy, if you agree with me. How about Randy Sanders from East Tennessee State? Randy yeah, Sanders, no, longtime that, Philip Fulmer assistant, tons of Power 5 experience, doing pretty well there. But I don't know if he's, been, he's only been there for now a year and a half. Would you feel better? I don't even know. I'm not even positive they would go after him because it'd be a tougher sell, even with that Power 5 experience, even pointing to uh, pointing to Philip Fulmer. But he's only been at ETSU for, what, like 17 games? How do you feel about that as an FCS guy? 
Uh, I, I think that's a great pull by you, and I, I think that's a great job sort of setting up the Vanderbilt conversation that you did earlier as well, sort of sort of teeing uh, I really appreciate up. that. I made a few notes on it. Yeah, it, it was a nice job. I think Randy Sanders is an interesting choice. Uh, he hasn't been at ETSU very long, but he did get the Bucks into the playoffs last year, and, and given sort of the history of that program, uh, it, it's it's a program that's been revived in the last four or five years. And they, when they came back, I mean, it's just really hard to get traction as an FCS program. Uh, so it, it, he did a pretty good job getting them sort of over the hump and into the playoff discussion. Uh, I think that's a good pick. I think there's actually a better one. Uh, and, and I approached this conversation sort of similar to how you did. Uh, who is an up and coming or, or decent FCS coach in that area that could be pulled up? Uh, and you went to East Tennessee State, uh, which is a good choice. I went to ten- uh, UT Martin uh, with Jason Simpson, who really has that team cooking this year. What year uh, is I, he in there? Oh, he's been there a while. I want to say like 12. Uh, and UT Martin, you know, it, it's not a exactly a historical powerhouse in FCS football. And so I wonder, he, he's not an older guy. I, I think he's in his late 40s. Uh, so I, I wonder with him sort of banging his head into the wall at UT Martin for a long time, with them having a team that could legitimately win the OVC and go to the playoffs this year, that would be a huge thing for UT Martin. Does he look around and go, hey, this is the highest my stock's going to be as a coach probably for a while. Do I try to go after a coaching job? Do I do I make the jump here if I get a couple calls for interviews? And, and I, think, I think it's always tricky when... Power five schools and Vandy is technically a power five school. Uh, I think it's tricky when they try to take FCS coaches and pull them directly up. Sometimes it works, like what Chris Kleiman's doing at Kansas State right now. But a lot of times it, it's it doesn't work or it takes a really long time. But I do think they could look at Jason Simpson. I do have one other name that is uh, maybe something that other people wouldn't have thought of if you're interested. I want to ask you a question first. Okay, I have two questions. Number one. What, and let's just ballpark it here, where does Vanderbilt sit on the chart of 130 FBS jobs? Is it, this is a serious question, is it in the top 75? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's even close to the top 75. So even with no. 65 Power 5 teams, I, I don't know if it's the worst Power 5 job, but there's an argument that it's in the bottom 3 to 5. So that's just Power 5. And there are way more than 15 G5 jobs that are better than Vanderbilt. Is it a top 100 job? I think it's probably right around that number. That is staggering. Yeah. But, I mean, think about it. Who do you hire? First of all, you're at Vanderbilt. So it's it's harder to recruit, right? It's harder to recruit players at Notre Dame. It's harder to recruit players at William & Mary and UVA. It's one of those schools that you have inherent challenges just getting players into the door. So think about like Stanford, the challenges they have to recruit academically, and then add into the fact that you're in the SEC. You have to line up and play eight SEC teams every year, and it's just an impossible job. I don't know why anybody would ever sign up for it. Maybe that's why Derek Mason had. I didn't really think about the, the academic part of it. Anyways, I, I don't care about that. Number my second question is, what do you think about Will Healy? For those of you not familiar, he's from uh, Tennessee. Really young. I mean, I think Will Healy is like 33 or 34. He might be the youngest FBS head coach, or he's right up there. Only in year one at Charlotte, but he worked friggin' magic at Austin P. He only had, I don't know, 
let's see, he won uh, seven years at Chattanooga as an assistant. Uh, he played at, what, Richmond and Air Force. What do you think of Will Healy? Does he need a couple more years before he's considered for a job like that? I don't think he needs a couple more years before he's considered, but I think if I'm Will Healy, I don't want to jump from Charlotte after the one year uh, just because I feel like you maybe want to put together more of a body of work. And, and if he does maybe... well at Charlotte, I mean, he that for example, totally. if he wins, if he goes back-to-back 9-1 season to Charlotte, NC State wants to move on from Dave Dorian, you would think he'd be in play at something like that. And NC State yes. is a way better job than Vanderbilt. Correct, and I would, I would, I would probably, if I'm him, want to wait for a more interesting job than Vanderbilt because you're you're almost definitely signing up to fail when you take that job. It's just kind of how it is. Like when a, a successful year at Vanderbilt is like five and seven, you know, it, or six and six. Like if you go to a bowl game at Vanderbilt, that's a win. So I would think he would want to wait for maybe a better job because if you jump to Vanderbilt after one year. Uh, and you had one year at Charlotte, and that's your only FBS experience, and then you crash out at Vanderbilt. Like, how much long? How long is it going to take before you're going to get that next FBS offer? Uh, I have. It, a, fe- it I, feels like most of these guys only get a couple of shots as a Power Five head coach before they're sort of relegated into the coordinator bin. And I wouldn't want to waste one of mine at Vanderbilt, especially when you're. And we've talked about this a lot in playing this game and just other situations. When your age is an asset like that, I feel like. Will Healy is kind of approaching the point, and I think someone like Lincoln Riley has made it more acceptable where age isn't looked at as, as a problem, whereas more of an asset. And if Will Healy goes and spends four or five years trying to figure out if he can get Vanderbilt moving, oh, he can't, all of a sudden he's 40 now. And not saying that a 40-year-old coach wouldn't be in demand, but yeah, and he's going back to a low-level G5 or a Power 5 coordinator, doing that for four or five more years, and then giving another shot again, all of a sudden he's in his mid to late 40s. I have one name that I really like and I'm really intrigued by, but who was the other one that you said? Paul Johnson. I considered a triple option, but I thought it was more of a Jeff Monken type of thing because he has done such a brilliant job at a service academy, and it's not the same deal, but there are, like you mentioned, certain limitations. I don't even know if Paul Johnson would... He doesn't seem like he wants to come back. I don't think he does either, but... It is a private school, so maybe they can. I I, I don't. Is know. it more of a triple option thing for you, where you think that that's I think the it's only more way that Vanderbilt a, can survive? It's a zag thing, right? Like if if you're in Vanderbilt's position, you have to do something different because of the situation you're, you're in. Gonna, with, you're never going to compete. You're, you're not going to win SEC games playing the SEC football game, right? So you got to do something different. And that's why I have Willie Fritz so high because he runs a version of that, and I think that's kind of a misconception of Willie Fritz. It's not just a pure power five, pound the ball 60 times a game. Tulane can throw the ball. So I think that that's why Willie Fritz is so attractive because it's not like you're committing. And a triple option coach is a hard sell. And I don't know uh, what Turner will do. I don't know if he even cares about having a hard sell because he hired friggin' Jerry Stackhouse, who hasn't coached a college game in his life. Yeah, the name recognition is there. So I don't even know if Turner cares about selling the hire. But you got to really sell a, a triple option higher. I don't think they would go that direction. Let me ask you one more before we wrap it up. Is this maybe a spot for Todd Graham? Ooh, you know, that he feels wants right. back a lot. I mean, he was on the show uh, back in May, and I was actually talking to him the other day, and he wants back so bad. And he rejected several offers last year. 
does is it more of a geographic thing? And he's even said that he wants to be out west. He thinks he could do better in the southwest. But I mean, if Todd Graham gets Vanderbilt moving, he's only in his fifties still. If he can win seven or eight games at Vanderbilt, he's going to get back to where he wants to be, and that's as a higher level, or I don't want to call Arizona State a high level P five, but that second or third tier P five. How about Todd yeah. Graham? Yeah, and, and it feels right because it's it's a name that. He's an established guy. Like you, easy you might sell. have, I think it'd be an easy sell for a Vanderbilt type of program. Yeah, he, you might have positive thoughts about him. You might have negative thoughts about him. But he's been a head coach, and that that feels like a guy you can go nab and just plug in, and people go, "Oh, I know who that is." Okay, like we, this isn't a project. Like may, he could maybe get something. Because what's the worst that's going to happen? Bowl games. Like, I yeah. mean, he's not going to totally that's shit the bad. bed and throw your your roster into turmoil. What's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. He win and, and three you games. You mentioned his age. You mentioned his age. Paul Johnson's only sixty-two. Paul Johnson is only sixty-two years old. He's only sixty-two years old. Last week, I almost a couple weeks ago, I almost crapped myself when we looked it up, and Charlie Strong was what fifty-nine. Yeah. <laughs> Todd Graham is fifty-four. I mean, that's a guy who has fifteen plus. That's, that's young for football. strong yeah. years in him. Yeah. I think Todd Graham could be really interesting. I know the geographic thing kind of turns me off a little bit, but Todd Graham uh, is the one that sticks with me. Okay, coming up on the midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast, so that'll drop either Tuesday night or Wednesday. That will be Brad Crawford of 24-7 Sports, and Chase Kitty right here will be back with me. We'll go over some Week 9 bets. What was the one we had just mentioned? The prop for uh, the for future Missouri for Missouri. The, uh, yeah. We'll look that up. We'll also do some rapid-fire stuff, uh, run through a whole bunch of games, get Chase's take if you would take them or leave them. So please come back. Brad is a good man who knows his stuff. Chase is a good man who knows his stuff and will win you money. In the meantime, check out the High Motor Pod on Apple Podcasts, on Spreaker, on Stitcher, anywhere you do your podcasting, on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. I am at Dowdy 88 Chase Kitty is at Chase A. Kitty. Chase, what are you doing Monday and Tuesday of this week? Karaoke night? Uh, well, karaoke is always in play for Tuesday. What do you uh, wear to karaoke night? Uh, I don't know. Whatever I wear throughout the day. It depends on what kind of day I had, I guess. If I took meetings or, you know, if I was meeting with clients What's or whatever. What's the scene like? Uh, it's it's an interesting place. There's this place, it's two blocks from my house in Richmond called Sticky Rice. And it's it's just an odd, it's a fusion place. So it's part like, you know, Chinese restaurant, but it, it also like is this weird dance atmosphere. People like stand in booths, like on the table and dance. It's, it's a weird place. It sounds uh, like uh hang shoes from the newsroom. Doesn't it? It's a little bit like hang shoes. Yeah. It's a little bit like hang shoes. All right. Well, you enjoy, actually we'll probably talk before karaoke. And I probably talk on Tuesday, but you enjoy your week again. I'll be back with chase and Brad Crawford Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. This is a high motor podcast. Come back for that midweek episode. Oh